If you want to jump straight to Anthony Lowe's part two episode, grab that little circle that sits on the podcast. Uh, what do you call it? The podcast. The line, the line, the timer. Skip straight to 30.00. That's when it starts. Enjoy. Have the best week ever. You deserve it. Part two with Anthony Lowe with a 20-minute chat. Kelly and I are talking about initial consultation, the review consult, ITB and biomechanics, patella dislocation and surgery, the research in practice, group, treadmill assessments, anything else we talked about or like covered it all. A little bit of disagreement, but that's all right. That's normal. The biomechanics stuff a little bit, but... Yeah, that was all. Yep. Yeah, and then part two with Anthony Lowe. Second half, talking mostly about, initially, sciatica and back pain with running, how to help people with running, just general running injuries, plantar fascia activation. you like that one. Neurology-driven mechanism and treatment, the importance of the narrative in patient care, and uncertainty, silly sorry, silly running, silly running part two, that comes in. The uncertainty of physio research, potential harm of certain exercises like sit-ups, hint, there isn't much, misconceptions surrounding diastasis and abdominal training, and the importance of introducing variability in running techniques to prevent repetitive strain injuries. Why are you pointing at me? Because we all need variability in our lives, especially yes, as runners. I'm not a, for everything. Yeah, for everything. Body likes variability. It does, but not variation. too much. A little bit of variation here and there. Just like hot sauce and then... So when I get to the end of my running, so the end of the gait cycle, so I'll go, so I'm running left foot. As I get hit the ground with my left foot, most of the pain happens with my knee just as I make strike on the contralateral side of my right heel. That's when, and I just felt so it then. during toe off. Yeah, during toe off. So what couldn't make sense to me as to why, because what we know with ICB and patellofemoral pain is if you want to reduce loads on the knee, you know, you can certainly shorten your cadence or even strike on your forefoot. And that can reduce, I think there was that study that Rich was quoting. There's one flaw with that argument. I was like 27% less load on the knee when you strike on your forefoot. There's like a graph on how it's divided. It's like 54 at the knee when you're on your heel. And then it's like 16 or something with the forefoot after. There's one flaw. What? Can you guess? No. Not all humans are the same. Everyone's going to have symptoms differently. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But if I have pain in my knee and I do a movement that puts less load on the knee, it should make sense as to it should be a little bit less sore. Not always, of course, but... What about people that have a discogenic low back pain? Some of them can bend over with no pain. Okay, okay. Yes, not everything applies to 100%. I completely agree. But it still didn't make logical sense to me as to if I've got knee pain and I'm doing something that puts less load on the knee in its entirety... Why doesn't that give me less pain? And yes, you are completely right. Not everything applies to every person or the the rule. So I asked you this before, why that is the case. Mm. And I wonder if it's too biomechanical, but it sounds logical, right? 
So as I get to toe off, as we think of the hip moving, and this is straight from the biomechanics textbook, as you move from heel strike to propulsion, you basically move from a flex position, so your hip is working in the sagittal plane, and you move from a flex position to extension. So you don't actually reach extension until halfway between mid stance and propulsion. So my biomechanical analyses was saying and thinking, as I get into extension, because I'm extending, my hip flexors are, they would be contracting concentrically or eccentrically. This is what I do with the students. Eccentrically. Yeah, eccentrically. Great job, one point for you. <laughs> and then as I move towards that, I guess, end extension, I'm getting that contraction of my TFL or hip extensors. And perhaps that is having that tensile force on my ITB, which is whatever's driving the pain down there, putting more pressure on there. What Did do you think? You uh-huh. Try silly running instead. No, I didn't actually do. I did a little bit of it, but... I haven't needed to do any silly running because the my running's been really good, so I haven't needed to, but I had it in my mind. And also, uh, who Tom Decano messaged me and said that he was keen to hear what this silly running is because I yeah, put it in a cliffhanger on, on, on purpose. <laughs> yeah, but that was why I think that makes that makes sense, doesn't it? Do you think, or do you think it's too biomechanical? I guess so. I, ca- I guess it can make sense. Mm. I think everyone's different, so... I think that's also why it doesn't make total sense, but theoretically it could. Yeah. And then when I run with my torso, if I bend more at my hip more so, so if my torso, I should say more anteriorly, but if I just flex my hip more, I have less discomfort on my knee. And also when I do a bend... That's a good way to test that thing, yeah. I guess. If I do but that a, could also be... Just change in something. Change, exactly. Yeah. But when, like, when we say that, yes... Yes, it could just be you change anything and someone gets better, but it's not that you change anything. Like, you've got a theory behind it. It doesn't automatically mean that it's true, but... This you is can... where you need to try your silly running. Mm. Well, I just wanted to know why. Like, I find that interesting to mm. see see why that's happening because if you can work that out with some confidence, you know, you don't biomechanical splay all this language to people that you're discussing if you're trying to do a running assessment and modify their no, running this is just our problem solving yeah because it's interesting but if you can problem solve a little bit on the spot i mean you can make not certainties but you can make some pretty confident recommendations and worst case scenario it doesn't work and you just try something else mm. so i found that pretty interesting and i felt it was fun for me like i enjoyed figuring out why that why that was when you're doing your uphill running, that doesn't help you either. No. Well, it did a little bit, but not really. But then I thought, why Like, why would uphill running feel a little bit better? Because it did feel a little bit better, but not to the point at which I thought. Because I'm having less hip less extension. extension. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah, that was my... Yeah, you are the biomechanics wizard. You? No, you are. No way. You're way more biomechanics than me. No. I, no, I just think it's cool. I really do. I was talking to someone about getting <clears throat> or talking to them about the the zebra like the pressure analysis where you run and yeah what do you think of that because thinking if you you've got it if you have that you're going to use it and of course you're going to find reasons to use it how much do you think it would change your clinical practice i don't think it would change my clinical practice at all mm. as, and you're like oh, as a physio yeah you don't think at all i don't think so i don't think there's as much importance on someone's gait as mm. people think 
for mm. I, I, and this is what we speak about in this podcast as well more often than not you just need to change something and and cadence is a pretty easy thing to change mm. and i don't know if you need a treadmill for that yeah and what would you what would you yeah see, i guess it's a little bit different symmetries maybe well but also i don't know yeah i mean if you see the asymmetry like because what would because you can only see pressure that's all we, i mean i guess you can see two um 3D or 2D, like analyses, but I'm talking just pure the pressure. I think it would have great value. I think it would be cool. I think it would be cool, but I'm like, would patients need to see it? So if I'm trying to deflect or take away pressure from the plantar surface of someone's foot, which is a lot of what I do, capsulitis, plantar plates, perineals, all that kind of stuff, heel pain, if I can see objectively, hey, there's less kilopascals now through your heel, and they're like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Do I need to, because I'm seeing people in pain, do I need that pressure or do I just, which is what I do now, I just rely on how do they feel. I'm like, great, go for a walk. Exactly. And they're like, it, it feels better. Yeah, so you can, mm. that's that's way more reliable. And if they've got pain and then you change something and they've got no pain, then mm. why do you need to see the pressure plate to yeah. justify that yeah. change? Yeah, that's I do. To me. I, I, I think it gives you, like gives the patient, it's, it would have buy-in, definitely. Yeah. People would look at yeah. that and think it's cool. I just don't know that it's as important as some maybe. What we think. I wonder how much, this would be a cool study, if you had a group that had, oh, it'll be hard cause to say that they have pain, but to have a group that saw the change and then a group that didn't see the change, try to somehow quantify the treatment and the dosage and all that and just see to the people that saw that we were making change like hey these numbers are less that's good for you does that make a difference to their outcomes long term because i imagine if you would want to like you would want to control it or compare it to what what we would do say without that's what i mean yeah like yeah two comparisons so say for someone with knee pain and we modify their cadence and like oh yeah that feels better Cool. And then we had someone where we modified their cadence and showed somehow there was less pressure through their knee on a computer screen. I wonder how that would go. Like, is it any better? Because they're like, oh, wow, actually, it, I can see that. That is different. I wonder what that would be like. What do you think? Probably no difference like in anything in life. And then you weigh up the cost versus the reward. The reward. Is yeah. like the cost worth that yeah. little thing? I don't know. It would be worth talking to someone about because obviously we've never tried it. So we don't know heaps to be able to comment on it no i've never tried i just dream of it every night i've never seen it in reality <laughs> we should talk to like lydia or someone about it yeah a bit more depth yeah and to see oh yeah it'd be it'd be it would be cool it would be cool but i wonder again having that all set up and like you said the cost and you always, if you've got something you find ways to use it yeah absolutely yeah absolutely. that's interesting i mean because we've got force frames like we've got all the vault equipment that tests your, your strength yeah i saw a couple of pods starting to use them hips and mm. you can do the force decks you can do use the nord board do you ever and... do the inverters or everters like perineals and tip post or well, not really i do not mm. i wouldn't even know how well, i guess i could <laughs> do you, you know how you just do what the muscle does and resist it i do it with my hand and oh, they reckon yeah, I once do you with my hand i just don't use the vault yeah. equipment Basically, my hand is a force plate. I've tested that many tip posts. Imagine if you just had this electronic just one. There's so much error in people doing it. Like no. they can just externally rotate their hip or internally rotate their yeah. hip. Like how reliably Maybe is actually physios. testing tip posts and perineals. Not pods, but pods never make errors because we see the foot so much. You, I would almost trust a podiatrist's hands testing your tip posts and when I do those 
$40,000 dollars What do you place. test? Like okay. grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four? Candle grading four. scale, baby. Nah, eventually what happens is you're a podiatrist because you see the foot and the ankle. You become, you, become you almost become with synonymous the with the foot. And I basically have on my hand a killer pastoral measurer. So I go, great, invert your foot. Yeah, 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 a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah, 23. Bang, <laughs> next side, 24. As you see it that much, you just wouldn't know. And you can tell if they're overactive because I'll usually feel their tip post and go, oh, yeah, just set a lap flex there down a little bit and then I'll get the tip post going. No, not really. But I, I just basically <laughs> test it to see if it's sore. That's all I'm, I'm doing. Mm. Do you the, then, I like, this is what I like doing, I like taking them to like end range E version oh. and then testing inversion. Strength and oh, then and taking it to like cross. N, N range yeah. inversion and testing E version strength. Yeah. I reckon that really winds up a few cranky perineals. And yeah. Tumors. Yeah. But it, it's funny when you, so on, on most people that we see, when you evert their perineal, you can see their tendon. And it, it's really, it's incredible to think how small it is. Like it's not that thick compared to the Achilles. And yet it does so much. Have you, like, you know, yeah, you know, when you, if you, you do it with tip post as well, and I'll show yeah. patients, especially on your foot, you've got the highest arch in New South Wales at the moment. When you evert your foot, you can, you can see the perineal. And if, if I, if the patient is, if they like that kind of stuff, I'll show them, like, this is the tendon that runs down through the side. And you can see I'm pushing into it, so it's not sore, we're trying to rule it out, but it, it's pretty interesting to see the anatomy stuff is cool i do want to go back into the cadaver lab me too i'd love to do that mm. that'd be so interesting there was a there was an association course in sydney that was doing it but have a guess uh, let me ask you right now point blank haven't thought about this mm. if i said i can organize a cadaver course today maybe it was one day and i'm going to say a price how much would you say you think it is but they went through lots of stuff as well it wasn't just just that. $500? That's pretty expensive. But I think they went through it. It was with some surgeons and stuff. I'm not going to say who it was, but it was, I really wanted to go. And I was like, oh, I, that's pretty expensive. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. It'd be better to get that. Surely you could do some, like you're in with the uni, you could get in and do some sort of in with, work. In with the uni. In I work at the uni. I would say 99% of people don't even know who I am at the uni. There's so many people. Maybe, I know the students go there in second year. Maybe I could just tag along as the, the supervisor. Wouldn't it so great to get into the anatomy labs with what we know now? Oh, like actually having yeah. relevance to do you, do you the pitch, structures that you're looking at? Do you at? picture the anatomy? I still remember a lecturer telling me this. Like if I, and I'll say this to a patient and it's good to get your critique and I don't think anyone's actually ever critiqued me on this. I'll say something along the lines. If I'm feeling a bit funny on the day, usually Tuesday, Wednesday, I've got a bit of comedy in me. I'll say something along the lines of, you know, my job's pretty simple. There's not too many structures here. It can only be one of these things. And then I'll name what's in there because I'm only, again, seeing the foot and the ankle. What do you name? Well, let's say... Um, There's deal- so many things. How no. do you name it all? Again, podiatrist, I'm telling you. We've just got that vision. So say I'm feeling someone's intermetatarsal space. So if I'm feeling really, really funny... Okay, great. So I'm feeling in here. Again, there's, there's not too many structures in there. Like, it's not going to be your Achilles. And then we go, ha ha, have a bit of a laugh. And then I'll go, great. There's only really a couple of things in here. There's a bursa, there's some nerves, some arteries, some ligaments, a couple of muscles, a couple of retinaculums, that kind of thing. Maybe a joint capsule here or there. And, it's, you know, it's going to be one of those things. And in most cases, and I'll explain that to them. So but it could be any of those things. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. differentiate between any of them? Well... Clinical history, subjective, that but kind of thing. What would be a differentiator between when I dry a needle? No, I'm joking. <laughs> when between you want. a bursa and a capsule. That's the thing. You didn't let me finish. Let me finish. So, talking, we're speaking. 
So, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those things. It doesn't really matter too much as to what it is because the treatment's the exact same. And you've heard me say this a million times. Fucking yeah. yeah, hey, don't be saying that. They're fighting words. Tell them about methadone. That's half my degree, but where the methadone goes. No, but honestly, if we can rule out the nasty stuff, so like, you know, great, it's not a metatarsal stress reaction, you know, something like a tumor or something really out of the out of the box, the treatment's gonna be the same anyway. And it's usually gonna be domes, deflections, shoes, supports, possibly load modification, education, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you find that? I mean, you call you were talking about, you call things load related and then put in insert structure. Depends. You've got load related body pain. Maybe. If it, it yeah, sometimes. If yeah. It, it depends on the person and what their complaint is and yeah. where it is and how confident I am on mm. the structure. If I, yeah. What's the most commonly seen in the hip? Like in the deep in the hip, not on the outside, like anterior hip. Is it FAI? Oh, wait. Depends on the age. Yeah. yeah. Do, does hip OA... Anterior hip pain. Does... I know it's different as where you see it, but does hip OA generally have a better prognosis than knee OA? Surgically, yes. What about conservative? Mm. I, I assume it's managed the same. Probably depends on the person and how engaged they are yeah. with General, exercise generally, and lifestyle changes. Generally that you see. If you could Not control sure. those factors, yeah. I reckon knees are easier than hips, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But that's just my personal... Is it the yeah, same thing, sure, just like, exercise, just general hip stuff, I guess, whatever, local yeah, lifestyle and, changes, keep yep. them moving, eat yep. healthy, stuff like that. Healthy, eat your greens. Eat yeah. Your greens. Anything good happen to you this week? Yeah. Other than you getting to be a physio, which is the best thing ever. I And did um, a presentation on NTSS on mm, prep. Yeah, we're going to be talking Wednesday about that. Talking about that on the, oh, the yeah, Patreon. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that on the Patreon. Yeah, which is, much away. yeah, MTSS for spine stress injury. And the big question, you ask at your presentation, take it away. Are the they, is MTSS on the bony continuum or is it its own separate pathology? Mm. And how would we treat it given that we maybe don't know the answer to that? Yeah. Yeah, and That's then a, also yeah. on that... That night was cool. We was one of the uh, knee specialists was there, and uh, another presentation that was happening was on patella dislocation. Mm. He was talking about like there was a younger teenage um, case who had recurrent patella dislocations, and yeah. there was initially a bit of a uh, question around if you could surgically, like if you could um, do like an MPFL reconstruction. What is it? A uh, medial patello femoral ligament reconstruction. Oh yeah, I knew what it was. I was just checking. <laughs> because <laughs> initially they can't they can't screw into a, the growth point. Where does that ligament what does that ligament growth. do? Does the ligament hold the patella? Yeah, it stabilizes the patella a right. little bit. In, inferiorly or superiorly? Medially. Medially. Yeah. Yeah. So it stabilizes the patella medially to prevent it from dislocating la laterally. Yeah. Laterally. Yeah. And so this person, this patient that they were talking about was very, very tall. And the specialist was like, that's okay. He doesn't need to grow anymore. We could just drill straight into the growth plate. Why does he need to be any taller than what he is? Mm. I just thought it was just so funny how it's just such a like throwaway thing and doesn't even matter because they're tall enough. And I don't know, yeah. interesting. Well, I guess I you, thought it was quite funny. Yeah. I mean, you always have context. If you, and your opinion can always change if you see the person. But yeah, yeah. Like that wouldn't be the case for everyone, I'm sure. But it was yeah. just quite a funny conversation. It, yeah. Those, those nights are, are awesome. Like just to, 
the night Kelly's referring to is Rippin. So you would have heard we had Connor Glenhill on maybe four or five episodes or so, and he was talking about Rippin. It's him, and there's many people involved, but him and, and Nikki Manville, who's also been on the podcast as well, uh, do lots for that. Rippin is research in practice, practice network. network, yeah, which was awesome. I went to it on Wednesday to watch you present saw about knees and also about back i didn't say one word just set up the back and listen and it's just awesome to yeah. hear the conversations yeah it's so cool learn a lot. lots of questions and people bouncing ideas around the room and it's not often that you get that many yeah. opinions in one space that with yeah. a sort of safe place to have a good have discussion around yeah. cases and what different people might do yeah yeah, there was a person there we were talking about that, that presented that was talking about cases and just was so okay with the uncertainty and just saying, yeah, I thought this, but I'm surprised it didn't work. What do you guys think? And that was just so so open-minded and the question was really open and everyone just kind of discussed and some people agreed and disagreed and it was fine. Like that is just That's something so that I cool. really wish would change and maybe it's a person thing rather than a profession thing, but yeah. I wish we could all get better at taking criticism and feedback and having these conversations where we're okay with being wrong, mm. myself included. Like, I'm not saying that I'm good at that because I'm, I'm not. I think we all get a little bit defensive at times. Oh, of course. But I wish we could have yeah, these open discussions and not take it personally and all just get better and learn from it. Mm. It's cool. Yeah, it is great. I think that the prof- all professions... Maybe it's the echo chambers that we are in, but I think that a lot of people do that. I think we can get a little bit polarized by seeing that on social media and think, oh, far out, everyone's arguing and all this Maybe. kind of debating. But you are right, there's you know certain pockets of people that, that do that. Mm-hmm. But I think in all, we're all pretty happy to chat and we're all pretty open-minded. I don't open-minded. think that many people are happy. No, you don't I think. think our network would be more so. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't be comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. Certainly all the guests that we've had on are very happy to, to chat and be nuanced about it. It's, yeah. it's really cool. Because the guests that listen to this podcast are the best. best yeah, true. Hey, what do you reckon about this idea? I know we spoke about it. And this will be the last thing we talk about before we get into, into this podcast. But the two questions that you ask, the initial question when someone sits down... And then the first question you ask after they come back in for the review, and you may not have thought of it, and that's fine. You just say, "I haven't thought about anyone? it." Anyone? Yeah. Why? I don't guess you tell it to the person, but wait, why? The first, first, wait, the first question. First I... question. So someone comes in like, "Hey, Kelly, I'm I'm Blake. Lovely to meet you. Come on in, have a seat, sit down." Ah, oh, great. Why the? <laughs> and then, I usually so wait on our um fill in fill in initial form thing that they fill in they say what are you having looked at so i'll bring them in i'm so i say all right so we're talking about your back today what's been going on oh yeah 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 that's i've never thought of that one because sometimes i i say something oh no this is about you so why why do you say that me yeah do you have i'm gonna being the patient no no why do you ask that question it's a bit nice breaker like it's just yeah so you jumped and I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. Crit- yeah, I am yeah. critiquing I you a little bit. About this on the podcast already, because you talk about like I'm Blake. I work it here, and this yeah, is my yeah, team, yeah. and this is what we do. And yeah. So you could you jump straight in? Yeah, I go straight to the point. Right. Okay. No. And do you think? I introduce myself first. I yeah. say hi. I'm Kelly. And handshake. No handshake. No. No I'm hand not contact. A handshake yeah, but the, the research says hand contact is good. 
it develops that connection already. Sometimes like, I come for a hug. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't back slap. What's up, brother? Feels too like awkward yeah. for me. I'd be better off getting up and giving him a, a hug. Yeah, you Stop. wouldn't actually, would you? Hug and a kiss. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Next question. Next one comes in because I've been thinking about this more lately. Really trying to go over from start to finish everything that I say and do. Why do I do it? Can I improve on it? So someone comes in. What do you do? What do you say? Well, I already know what you say, but tell everyone else what you say. Uh, I'm, I can picture it. So I usually, so I'll go, great, head out the door. Kelly, come on in. I take one and a half steps back. They'll come in and around. Go, hi, I'm Blake. If, they, if they've got stuff in their hands, because usually they're carrying shoes or kids. I might do a little bit of a comedy in one, go, ha ha, air shake, and pretend, or not you don't do that because it's failed a couple of times. <laughs> so, great, come on in. So I'll step, I'll do like a... Pelvic tilt? No, no, no. What I do is I arc, so I'll pull my hips back <laughs> so they can walk through, and then I'll put my hand and go near the door. So great, come on in. So they know put it. the hand? Hey? No, I'll put, my, I'll put the hand where I want them to walk. Like, I go, great, oh. come in this way. Okay. And I go straight away, have a seat on the black one. Because people walk in and they don't really know where to go. Great, have a seat on the black one. And then close the door, come yeah, in, sit down. This is more detail than I thought you wanted to go into. Yeah. <laughs> I, I blinked with into- my right eye, then left, two breaths, <laughs> <sit>, hold, <laughs> tense my core so I don't have my back. Nah, and then I'll sit down. Great. And I usually say something along the lines of, welcome to our lovely clinic or welcome and introduce myself, say what we ask. Usually I might ask something along the lines of, and I'll say this from their new patient seat, have they seen a podiatrist before? Have they been in this building before? How do they go finding everything? And I've gotten this from a couple of books I've read when you're talking about, and you see this when people you talk with, if you jump straight into the business, it can sometimes feel as though it's rushed. So you talk about something generic to kind of ease into it. But I don't really know how much weight that holds and I'm very much probably overthinking it, but what do you reckon? So imagine if I said, great, how's your day been? Yeah, good, Wednesday, hump day, am I right? So we'll hear about your right toe, something like that. Well, yeah, think? I mean, I guess I probably do that. I would, like on the way in, because I've got a bit of a hallway Ooh, walk, I'll be like, yeah, how's yeah. your day been? What have you been up to? Blah, blah, blah. And then when they sit down, I'm like, right, so you're here to talk about your back. What's been troubling you? Yeah, okay. Yep, that's like that probably one. more sort of yeah. I remember in my, new, in my new grade year one of the because I worked at a big multi-disc place and I would work at different practices and there were certain practice leaders I remember one practice leader he used to say so what's giving you curry <laughs> I remember he sat down and we are talking about this and this person goes yeah so I just say Great, so now, right so what's giving you a bit of curry or what's giving you curry like what and I thought this is how I was like, that's that's fine. I didn't see any issue with that at all. Like the fact that no one will probably be able to interpret that, and that is not a great way to greet people or to sit down. Surely anyway. that gets old too. Like I would feel scripted if I just said yeah. that every single time. Hello, what is giving you curry? <laughs> anyway, so second ones. This is what I've been really reflecting on lately. Yeah. So coming for the second review. What is the first thing you say? Come on in, have a seat. Mm, how's the body been feeling? Mm, see, this is this is what I've been thinking. I think that it, I need to make mine more specific because I asked the question of so how have things been going, 
And depending on how the person thinks about it, if they had a flare up two days ago or they still have pain, which is what we expect, like, no, it's not going very good. And then we generally have to flesh out that there's probably been some improvement, not always, but like I've, I've been doing more or I've still got pain. Like if they expect, and I was talking about this with, with Justin this week, we've talked about it quite a lot. Like if somebody expects their pain to be gone or dramatically better and they come in and they're 10% better, like that's a huge win for someone that's had pain for a long time or that yeah. they can do more. And but that can probably goes back to the first consult and making sure that expectation is clear from the beginning. But how clear can you get it after one consult if we know that you're going to go over so much and people aren't going to take that take that much in? So, and one thing that Justin has said we've talked about is so let's say at the end of the first consult, you go, great, I'm going to see you in two weeks or one week. I'm going to ask you, are things comfortable? Did your exercises feel okay? And something other something else specific like do you wake up does it recover quicker after your run so when you come back in and you put that in your notes come back in great last time i saw you we're going to go through these things yeah what do you reckon justin come up come up yeah, with this one i thought that was a good idea because you can say that and it's like it, it's always very subjective as to how it feels yeah yeah i think that sounds good i bad. say something similar when it gets to you know when it gets to that sort of point where they're starting to get a little bit better and they don't really know what they want to do next or what to go, where to go from here. I say towards the end of the concert, I'm like, look, so next time I'm going to ask you, you know, what's next? Where do you want to go from here? How yep. things have been going? So start to have a think about that now. You don't need to answer that now, but that's, good. that's, that's going to be good. the first question that I ask you when you come back. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Like what, what else do you want to... Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I haven't thought of that one. Giving them something to think about because I usually leave it with a, a little summary, but not for something for them to think about other than like... Just, you know, see if things are comfortable, see how you go, that kind of thing. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's uh, end it there. Here's how you can explore it and find the things yourself and come back and tell me next time. Mm. Um, so you asked me, you know, what are some of the common things? So cadence is an easy one, but it's not. A panacea. It doesn't help everybody. It's it's just an easy one because you know you've got five minutes left. You've got to give them something. Right? <laughs> so cadence is an yeah. easy one. Yeah. Um, and the other one is silly running. Silly running. So I haven't heard of this one know? before. No. Run silly. Yeah. So run silly. So I'll I'll get you just while you're sitting there. I don't know if you record video for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, we do. There's a guy on the tube. Okay. So what I want you to do is to take your arms. <laughs> And do something with your arms that you would never do during running. So, yeah. Kelly, I've seen you do cool. that before. She always does the wave. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. And then I want you to run. Like, don't run right now, obviously. But, like, when you run, I want yeah. you to move your legs in ways that you would never consider to be a part of good running. Um, oh, and when people look at you, and when people look at you, I want them to think, wow, that's really silly. And I want you to feel silly too. That's silly running. And quite often silly running just gets people out of their heads and they go, you know what? It actually feels okay. Okay, run a little bit less silly, right? What are the things? And your job as an expert observer of movement is to go, okay, they're doing this with their arms and it's different because what they usually do is this. Mm. Is, that, is that the story that's right? And what you're trying to do is pair it back to, hey, 
you know, it, it might, let's just say something super simple. It might be when you run silly, you have more thoracic rotation when you do your arms doing silly, right? Mm-hmm. I notice that when you breathe during silly running, I see more of your chest change and your abdomen change than when you do your, you know, what, like it's really, really funny when people have pain during running, they tend to tense up more. So they move less things. And then yeah. it's like you're compressing a system that may not like compression. Um, mm. And the ones yeah. who like compression and they tighten up and they feel better with compression, they're usually not coming to see me because the tightening up strategy for them works. You know, Interesting. people, people oh, come funny. see you because they have symptoms. And I really want to get the word out that, like, I don't know about every physio who feels confident, but I consider myself legally, I am a legal performance enhancer. Like, you come see me without a problem. You don't have to have pain to see me. I can improve your performance. That's my job. And so mm-hmm. you can't lift past a certain weight because you hit a plateau. That's my job. I can help you pass that. You want to run faster. You want to jump higher. You want to throw further. That's what I do. This is my job. Um, not everybody's good at it. That's okay. But that's what I love doing. And yeah, yeah people go, oh, I didn't realize that I couldn't, that I could see you even if I didn't have a problem. It's like, yeah, you can. Hmm. You, you just like you just like to have your, your back manipulated. No problem. I'm able to do that. You you want to improve your tennis technique? No problem. I, I gestured out the window because my house has a tennis court in the back. And, um, you know, I saw somebody recently who was having incontinence with changing directions, um, you know, during rallies on the change of directions, she would leak. And so got the ball machine out, had her, had her changing directions and then working on strategy, slowed the machine down so that she could work on a different way of moving and changing direction until we figured out ways that helped, worked for her. You know, so we've That's got lots of fun ways of doing things. What sort of strategies were you giving her to think about during something like that? Yeah, so the first thing that we did, Kelly, Jilly I'm repeat myself. The first, thing that, the first thing that we did was we established what she currently did. And the second thing we did was I said, don't do it that way. Like she said, figure <laughs> it out. Like it's the same principle for everything. This is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, I can't memorize all the different ways that we can change things. And I can't learn every sport there is out there. But, you know, um, for example, when I got a BJJ client, um, I remember there was a BJJ athlete and she had hip pain when she was in a butterfly half guard, right? So her legs up in a figure four, pushing back on the opponent who's trying to squash them because when you put your weight on somebody, it's just hard to breathe. And so she had pain trying to push him off. So she couldn't push him off because she was pain inhibited. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, are you okay if I get into your guard and I lean on you a bit? Because I'm a lot heavier than she is. So she wouldn't ever be with somebody my weight. And then I put a bit of pressure on her until she said, okay, this is it. And I said, okay, try to push. And while she's trying to push me off her, I could feel the coordination pattern mm-hmm. And I was watching and I could see how she was doing that. And it's like, okay, this is how you like to push. And she goes, yeah, actually, that is what I'm thinking of doing. Like, you know, it could be something with a breath and then she's trying to push. Like I can usually describe to them what I think they're trying to do. 
Um, and then I said, okay, well, don't do that. Do it differently. They go, oh, what do you mean, Anthony? And it's like, <laughs> okay, you like to initiate by bracing your abs. What if you choose a different part of the body? I think, oh, I don't know, my knee. That good. Choose your knee and start pushing me away from your knee. Like, it's just different. They're still going to use their yeah. abs. So the principle is establish what they do and then have them do it differently as opposed to, okay, you know, she turned her foot out before she moved and maybe we should just don't turn her foot out or she has to think about coordinating it this way or activate this muscle. Like that stuff, that stuff takes ages and it's just, it's also not empowering. If you want to empower somebody, you, you teach them what the principle is and then you coach them through it so that they can apply it when you're not there. That to me is empowerment, you know? Yep. So I'm going to, um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, you go Blake. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm currently coming back from a left ITB, you know, my first running related injury. Kelly's actually doing my return to running and I'm going for my second return to run this week. And you're going to see me down the street doing some silly running because my knee does hurt. I'm going to be thinking to myself, this is this really looks odd, but it feels really good. So we'll see how we go. I'll put it up a story and, and see. Yeah, make sure you tag me at Physio Detective. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me ask, do you have pain when you run on the spot, Blake? No. Just when I it's just when I'm it's when I it's like from halfway through mid stance to the end of propulsion, like that at that last kind of twenty percent of the gate cycle on the spot it's fine. <laughs> cool. I need to do more more plantar fascia activation, you reckon? <laughs> yeah, that's what it must be. It must be the plantar fascia. <laughs> <laughs> Too much pronation, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Well, no, like I'd literally I'd literally get you to think of that stance phase differently. Yeah. And you could even just do it like you need to find the lowest level activity that you can do, which replicates the symptoms. So it might literally be a push-off in standing on one leg and then doing that terminal hip extension, you know, from, from mid-stance to into hip extension. Yeah. Doing that and see if you feel the knee pain. And if you do, that's great because then you don't have to go running to feel it. And then you could do your, you could do your silly technique with a push-off stand, starting right. standing on one leg. Do you know what I mean? Test yep. retest is such a Maitland thing and it's such a good thing to do. Yeah, right. I'm going to have to give you my private health card at the end of this for having to consult midway. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm always happy to help. When we're treating things like incontinence and we're following that principle of seeing what they're doing and then getting them to do something differently, the way in which that's working, do you think that that's more like a neurally driven mechanism by which it might be effective or what are your thoughts everything is neural to me like yeah. when you when you think of if something has to activate if you don't have the nerves for it then like it's not going to work no matter how hard you think about it so everything is neural already mm. like that is the covering over everything is your nervous system so is it neurally mediated yeah uh is it affected by everything biological, psychological, and sociological, likely. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you're going to ask me for why do I think that works, it's like the honest answer is we don't know why it works, number one. And the second thing is 
do people really care why it works? Because if they can go running without leaking, but they don't know the reason why, they're still going to be happy that they could go running without leaking um, versus having a technically accurate description of why this works and still having symptoms. Like, great, I know why, but I still leak. Do you know what I mean? Like people are still unhappy because they're not doing what they want to do. So to me, the reasoning matters less. I go on courses and they go, oh, you know, I wish you went through the research more. And it's like, okay, what difference is that going to make? And ultimately, when you think about it, it actually boils down to making yourself feel better that you know your shit. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. really what it is. But if I can take, I reckon I could take fitness professionals and teach them how to help people with different sorts of conditions um, and not need to know a lot um, at all because they're already doing that. I'm able to teach them a process that enables them to do that even more because really what they do is they defer to physios and physios are often the ones providing the information for the anatomy and physiology that they teach uh, trainers. So, um, you know, if you can help somebody, like there are people around the world helping people with pain and there are people that have gone from the Western medicine to God knows where in the world and have gotten better by doing something different. And I don't care what the reasons why they were told. I care that they got a result. And it's too easy. I think too many Western people dismiss it as, ah, you know, that's just psychosomatic. It's like, really? Like, really? Do you think it's psychosomatic? No. Why don't we just acknowledge that the result occurred and we don't understand the reasons why it occurred, but it doesn't have to be the reason why they were told. Like, I think that's just an intellectually honest way to approach it. Do you find that with that, it's that is as long as the narrative is is not harmful. Like if someone gets told, and you know they need to, let's say that dry needling, for example, dry needling helps their Achilles tendinopathy, and they get told it's because they're release, <clears throat> it's releasing the muscles, and they have to come back weekly. Although yeah. it has worked, is that kind of the where you would draw the line if it's something harmful for them? Where it's like, it doesn't really matter as long as it worked and you're feeling better and doing what you love, but the narrative has to be not harmful. Oh, yeah. But like then anybody, mm. anybody who gives one reason why it's working is doing a form of harm. Like I yeah. think that most of what we do, the intellectually honest answer is to hold uncertainty. Like um, when you, like most of the physio research and the medical research that we do on people uh, to do with the conditions that we do, it's usually based on inductive reasoning, which has uncertainty built into That's the right. research yeah. design. So how can we ever say things are for certain when the research design literally has uncertainty built into it? It's like um, calculus, you know, when you take the derivative of a function, you get a certain answer. But when you integrate the very same function, you have to add plus C at the back of it because you don't know what the constant was before you did it. I don't know who loves calculus. I love calculus. So, you know. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> like it works one way. Like, um, for example, right? Uh, 
wind socks or, or a weather vane, when the wind blows, the wind sock will fill up and it'll point in the direction that the wind is blowing. Uh, right. So the wind blows and the wind sock points the direction the wind is blowing to. But if I want the wind to blow over here, I just have to turn the wind sock and that means that the wind will blow a different way. Like mm. everybody knows that that's stupid, right? But if we look at core stability research, we taught people how to isolate their transversus or their pelvic floor or whatever, or, or dissociate the transversus from their obliques. And people started getting better. And so people are like, okay, well, if we, if we want that transversus to activate more like a normal person's without that 80 millisecond delay, 80 milliseconds is not a lot, by the way, but it's a long time in neurological terms. I get it. It's a significant amount of time in, in neurological terms. Well, then what we try to do to people is, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do an isolated transversus. Like that's like turning a windsock to me. When your system changes, you're going to get a coordinated transversus response. Yeah. Assuming that turning the windsock, assuming that therefore I'm going to isolate the transversus in the way that it should be, is expecting it to go backwards. It's expecting the wind to change. Like it doesn't work that way. One is an observation. The other is causative. And you're, you're assuming that it's causative when you go backwards. It's not. It's just one possible possibility. Mm. We're getting very philosophical. But yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's this is what it's I'm good. agitated by. It is. Good. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a lot of the, the things about like scapular resetting and then getting someone to elevate their arm again and their pain goes away. It's just you're doing something different. So you're just creating or getting them to squeeze their fist while getting them to lift their arm and that changes their pain. So it's 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 just applying something different to their normal and it's it's impacting their symptoms somehow. And we keep the ones that impact them positively and we move on quickly when they don't help. And that's okay. Just be honest about it. Like, yeah. you know, people say, oh, how did you know how to do that? And it's like, because this is what they usually do. And I tried something different and I got lucky. Mm. And they go, oh, you know, I try all the time. And it's like, yeah, maybe I'm just old enough that I get lucky a lot. Like You've got, you've got your stone. That's why you got that stone from the start. It's it's not stone. just a, it's not just a stone, Blake. It's a stone plus the pelvic the the plantar fascia activation. <laughs> That's the key. You know, everybody <laughs> forgets. Good. Everybody knows that there's a longitudinal arch, but people forget that there are two transverse arches in the foot. So mm. you know, you got to make sure that you coordinate to. Yeah, people forget the second arch. So. You know. <laughs> good. Um, I, I did I... want to ask what one question about the the rectus diastasis. Oh, yeah. my mind. That's what yeah, I was going to I haven't heard much about, yeah. And crunches. I want to hear the, the nuance around crunches and sit-ups and why they're so terrible for everyone. Oh, that's a big story. Uh, why are they <laughs> bad for people? I don't know. So one, one thing that I was told by a physio that I trust is that decades ago, um, a video was shown of a woman doing, I think it was a sit-up. It could have been a crunch, but I think it was a sit-up. She did a sit-up and she pushed her prolapse out past the opening of the vagina, right? Wow. Uh, that is a very visual video to show somebody 
And they told me, like, everybody who saw that video was all over don't do sit-ups. Um, and I get it. There are people that would sit up and progress their prolapse like that, and that is not what I'm about. I'm not for that. Uh, I'm for assess it instead of give a blanket ban on an exercise which mm. is, number one, not harmful on average, and number two, I don't know why people hate sit-ups. People say, oh, it's not a functional exercise. It's like, have you ever tried to get up out of bed? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, do you not have a use? Yeah. Get off the floor without <laughs> rolling onto your side. Like, of course, it's a functional exercise. It's a functional thing to do. Like, <laughs> anyway, um, don't get me more agitated. So I think, <laughs> I think that's where that started. And then the whole idea that, um, you know, diastasis, is a separation of your, you know, it's a space in between the rectus diastasis, right? And so there is zero muscles that cross the midline anteriorly that will close um, a diastasis. Now, some people are going to argue with me and say, oh, but the internal oblique has, has that uh, fiber orientation with the external oblique on the other side and and, you know, you create this corseting, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, okay, number one, there's a methodological problem with that study. Uh, number two is that um, those muscles still pull laterally. The only muscle that kind of pulls medially is a rectus that is being bowed laterally. And then when you shorten, when you shorten any lax tissue, when you shorten it, it's going to take up the shortest distance that it can uh, between its attachment points, uh, barring any greater external force. So, for example, with me, when I do a sit-up or a crunch, I have a lot of visceral fat at the moment. Like, my rectus won't be able to form a straight line between the pubic symphysis and my ribs because that pressure from my visceral fat um, and from the intra-abdominal pressure is likely to still cause it to be bowed. Like, it is what it is. In most people, though, they don't have that problem. Um, and so if it's going to, if it's bowed outwards, like two parentheses, when you, when you activate, when you use a rectus abdominis muscle, it will shorten to a straight line. And that's the thing that will um cause a decrease in the measurable interrectus distance which doesn't necessarily mean it's curing in inverted commas the diastasis for me why can't we train the whole abdominal wall why can't we see how they do things now and then integrate it differently with different coordination patterns why can't we like most people don't like how it looks and I say that not because people are vain, but you ask closely enough, people will say, look, it doesn't matter to me how it looks. I want to be able to do what I do. And you ask them the question, okay, let's imagine that you are unrestricted. You can do absolutely anything you want to do. Would it still matter how it looked? And they will tell you, well, well yeah, I still want it to look good. Like, Aesthetics is always a part of it. Like, I don't think I've honestly met a person that hasn't said, oh, well, yeah, you know, I don't, I, I prefer to have 
a more rounded tummy than a flat tummy in a bikini. Yeah. Like, you know, people, people still do care. Right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Like, people still care. So we should just acknowledge it and help them achieve whatever goals they want to do. Um, so as long as it's not illegal or unethical, right? So yeah. Um, so that is not just because of a diastasis. That's going to be because all of the tissues in that area got stretched. So we're not just talking about the linear alba thinning out and widening. We're also talking about the posterior rectus sheath, the anterior rectus sheath. We're talking about the semilunaris. We're talking about the anterior and the posterior sheaths of all of the oblique muscles. So internal oblique, external oblique, and transversus. They all have an anterior and a posterior sheath around those muscles. We're also talking about the peritoneum. We're also talking about the parietal peritoneum, like the tissues that hold the internal organs together because they can be stretched out too. Um, you know, what contributes to somebody's uh, abdomen being rounded, which is usually what they don't like, is a combination of a whole bunch of things. And the said principle still applies. You know, it, your body will adapt to the load that's placed upon it, specific adaptations to impose demand. So if people want a shorter, flatter tummy, teach them how to shorten their tissues. Like if you want somebody to walk around with bent elbows while they're walking down the street, teach them how to do bicep curls, starting from a flex position, in a range only, never going to full extension, never doing tricep extensions, never teaching them to straighten out their arms, bench press, never lock out your arms, always, you know, partial repping it. Like the, the body will adapt to keep the elbow bent if you keep training it that way. If you want somebody's tummy to change, well, then teach the tissues that you can change to be shorter if that's what they want. Just be honest about it. Um, and diastasis is not the skin and subcutaneous fat that's got like we can't change skin and subcutaneous fat like there's just not much we can do about that so if at the end of the day they have an intact like no hernia no diastasis um the ability to have a flat tummy and their skin still sags and they have subcutaneous fat that's still there like there's nothing we can do about that short of cosmetic surgery. That's liposuction. Yeah. That's, um, you know, that's, if you want, you have to cut away the skin. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's not as simple as, oh, you've got a gap, therefore, 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 because that's all the myths again, you know. Um, mm. There's too many myths surrounding all of that stuff. Um, oh, you, you, you don't have that connection between the left and the right half at the front of your tummy. And it's like, well, a diastasis is a widening of the tissue. It's not a hernia where the tissue has been torn. That's different. Oh, you know, because you, because you have a diastasis, you can't stabilize your spine properly. And it's like, well, that's not true because mm. you still can. It's just different. It looks different. The coordination pattern's different, but it doesn't mean that you can't coordinate it. Um, you know, there's a whole yeah. bunch of myths that go around and around about this stuff. Mm. yeah and they just keep getting they kind of all form into one to the ultimate myth and they start from this little one and get all the way up to the end to the top of the mountain 
Well, when you start building on things that are just silly, like oh, any any anterior movement of the linear alba should be discouraged. And it's like, why? You know, what if what if they have it during breathing? Should they stop breathing? Um, you know, because there are people that will, when they're breathing, you will see that linear alba push out. It's like, what, you think this is going to make their diastasis worse? Like, yeah. where does this come from? You know, if, if, if you were to take a cloth, a T-shirt, any sort of fabric, and you're going to tear it, I dare you to tear it without putting a lot of tension on the fabric first. You can't. Yeah. You have to cut it. Um, and yet, you know, this is my hard doming, soft doming analogy. If, if you've got a balloon, you can blow up a balloon to a certain size and you can poke your finger into the balloon and it will not pop on you, right? You can push it in. It's not a problem. You can even touch your palm that's holding the balloon. If you blow up a balloon hard enough, it gets to that sort of tension where you push on it and then you think, well, if I push any further, I'm going to break this balloon. Right, because it's on a lot of tension. Just because the balloon is blown up doesn't mean that if you poke it, it's going to burst. In the yeah. same way, if, if you're concerned about stretching somebody's diastasis and it's so soft that you can push on that bulge and it just goes all the way back in, like, how is this going to make it worse? You're not even at an amount of tension that can resist your finger going down there, right? So how are you stretching it if it's just moving? It's just taking up the pressure that's there. It's mm. like, it doesn't make sense to me. That's like saying, um, how did you tear your Achilles tendon? Well, I was lying there with my toes pointed at the time and then it went pop. So did somebody yank on your feet? Did you kick something? Did you? No, no, I, I just was, uh, I was lying there with my toes pointed already and I just reached up and stretched and then my Achilles went snap. And you'd be like, that just does not make sense at all, right? Mm -hmm. Like who tears an Achilles like that? That's how dumb the whole idea of, oh, I saw a little blip, I saw a little movement of the anterior abdominal wall is to me. It's like, how are we making it worse just because it moves a, a little bit and it's so soft. It is so yeah. soft. And people are freaking out because, oh, it moved there. And it's like, and? Like yeah, apply and material yeah. science. Like apply your first and second year physio <clears throat> knowledge to this. You cannot get to plastic deformation without taking up all the elastic deformation first. Like you have to, you have that elastic zone for a reason. If you want permanent change, you've got to go to plastic deformation. That's when your length, that's when your stress strain curve mm. goes so that it's no longer linear. You are putting excessive amounts of strain on it. That's going to feel hard, right? And hard doming is not even, I, the hard doming, the way that I teach it is, is not even, I think it's at the end of the elastic zone. I don't think you're going to do permanent damage with hard doming, but people want to, oh, when should you stop? And it's like, okay, hard doming. Like, I think you're still probably inside the safe zone. But if people don't want to go to the plastic zone, it's probably a good place to be.
Yeah, that's a good analogy. I like it. I, I think uh, there's been a lot of good principles that have come from from this, just to get us thinking about a lot of different um, injuries and and conditions. Um, so all Blake, I can think about is a plantar fascia. <clears throat> I didn't see a guy rupture his Achilles once. He just didn't activate his transverse arch, drop one millimeter, and then it just went as they do. Yeah. Yeah, That's like so cool. you're going to get a rupture of that transverse, you know. <laughs> like here's the stupid thing. I'll, I'll give you one more that's stupid, okay? Yeah. There are people that are out there that are told that until you can control bent knee fallouts and leg slides with your isolated transversus, you can't progress to harder exercises. God. So many even though, <laughs> even though, even though <laughs> they walked in the door, even though, they probably picked up a bag and carried it. Like all of these things are going to activate your transversus more mm. than like just being upright is going to activate your transversus more than you lying there doing a leg slide or a bit knee fallout. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What if <clears throat> postpartum, the reason why your exercise class would bent knee fallouts, not letting them progress until they can master it, blah, 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 is not because they learned how to do it properly. What if it's because you had them lying there doing fuck all <laughs> and that's exactly what they needed postpartum. What if they needed an hour where they could go, you know what, I have to go to my rehab class, and they got to lie there and do gentle exercise and have a chat with some people that are not babies? Like, mm. what if that's the benefit of that class? Like, just be honest about it instead of this, oh, until you can do this, you can't do that. Like, so yeah. dumb. So yeah. dumb. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> good finish there. That was good. I thank you so much for, for coming on. It was good. Sorry to take up so much of your time. You did say off air, maybe it was on air, that there was a lot of questions to get through. And, yeah, glad I don't we know if through. we – did we get through them? I don't know. I think, I yeah, we, we did. We probably Not through most of them. Throughout, which is good. Not all yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got a bit philosophic. Probably about three quarters of the way through we got a bit philosophical, which is good. <laughs> I know what I'm doing this afternoon for my run, some silly running. And, yeah, I learned a lot. It was good. I think there was one thing I wrote down, but one thing I can wanted to ask you before we go, and I did ask you at the start, your number one, your biggest inspiration when you very first started or your inspiration when you first started as a clinician from university, and then if you could interview anyone, who would it be and why? Okay. I would say my biggest, my biggest physio hero initially that kicked things off for me would be Maria Quinlevin. She was my boss at Auburn Hospital and she kicked off, um, she, she went on to head Westmead Hospital and the physio department there, Maria Quinlevin. Mm -hmm. I think she's retired. She's been um, awarded many great things from the APA. She is a fantastic person and I learned so much from her not in terms of physio, but just in terms of being considerate of many different points of view. If, if I am considered in any way to be a good boss, a good employer, it's because I was inspired by her and the way that she interacted with everybody, the way that she listened to people even first years and took into consideration what they had to say mm. and... And juggle it, you know, when you're an administrator in, in such a position, you've got to juggle so many competing political as well as practical interests. And I think she was fantastic at it. I think she supported her staff. She backed her staff. Um, I think her manner was brilliant. I am, 
yeah, I think that she's been fantastic for the profession and a real credit to um, to how I have been, particularly in my formative years, my first three years as a physio. Um, so yeah, that that's who I would nominate for for that. Um, yeah, and then you know I can tell you my whole history of all my different people, but I learn from everybody, you know, and even if it's what not to do. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think there are lots and lots of people in the business to earn tons of money at the expense of all else. I think we all got into it. I could earn lots more money if I went and did law. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, we're all trying to help people. We all are trying to do our best. We all have some degree of nerdiness that like if you did undergrad physio especially we we had to get high marks at at high school we had to survive physio school four years of it there's some degree of nerdiness for wanting to do the right thing know the right answers like you know it's just how we're trained and I think being able to let go of some of that is important and recognize that we're all trying to help so the person who did whatever decision down the road uh, that was not helpful for the person that's now sitting in front of you, it wasn't that they did the wrong thing. Maybe they did the right thing on the day with their assessment findings on the day and the presentation changed slightly and the the patient didn't know, but it did change. Like that can happen. So I think as physios, we need to be much more generous with each other. Like why do we eat our own? We should be supporting each other and banding together. There's enough work for all of us. We should continue to support each other and work together towards, I think, you know, physio is in one of the best positions to really move forwards in in this modern world that we have. And, you know, cannibalizing each other and and the, the, the backstabbing and the and the infighting that goes on just hits me to no end. You know, like why? Why is such a such a closed off scarcity mentality? There's so much out there that we can do together to help each other. Like we're not going to be ever short of work, you know? Yeah. So I think that's number one. And I think Maria really helped to to show that and all the educators that I've studied under. And yeah. um yeah. Yeah, and she'd be the person that you'd you'd interview as well, like podcast style. Uh, the person I'd interview, no, I. you see, people who are alive, I think I could just interview. So I'm going to have to choose somebody who's who's passed on. Um, and I reckon a super interesting person, not just because I'm a Christian, but even if I was a non-Christian, would be Jesus Christ. I don't think yeah. that, um, I don't think there's many people in history who have, really radically altered the number of people's lives for good, for bad. I don't care where you lie on the spectrum. Like, where did that come from? How did that work? And what's really going on there? Like, I would love to, you know, like, yeah, we, can read yeah. In the, we could read in the Bible about what's said, and that's cool, but the Bible doesn't have all the years of his life and every minute of his day, like, do you know what I mean? Like, if I had a time machine, I'd love to just go back and go, oh, cool, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. Imagine the Dude. pressure for that that first question. You've got to make sure you've got it perfectly set out. God, that'd be some pressure <laughs> on for that one. Have a good back. Yeah, interesting. Perfect. That was awesome. All right, thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, we really appreciate that was a, a nearly a good solid 90 minutes, which is awesome. Appreciate your knowledge and, and nuances behind it, busting a couple of myths as always. And for people to find you and your course is yeah, just to your Instagram, which is physio oh, at physio detective and you've got your straight under your bio click that link and you'll be taken to a world of knowledge and nuance we could say maybe yeah maybe i'm not. well who knows maybe it's for <laughs> you maybe it's it's not you know some people just aren't ready for my style um yeah. because it really at the end of the day it causes ex- it causes an existential crisis if you dig too far and, uh, you know, me and my teaching assistants provide support in that. Um, you know, uh, I think that's really important to acknowledge because when everything becomes uncertain and certainty has been a part of your professional life for all of it, it is disconcerting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I still use manual therapy every day. I love manipulation. I use dry needles. Um, I use taping. I've got dynamic tape. I've got, I've got all sorts of stuff. I've got a real-time ultrasound machine. I, I don't use it for diastasis as much as I use it for acute shoulder, hamstring, Achilles, calf, foot, ankle. Like I use it more for that. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think just being intellectually honest, open and generous with each other is where I'd love to see the profession. And it's just too easy to just be negative. It's harder work to stay positive, but I think you just have a happier life, mm. you know? So yeah. hopefully that, that, that works for people. And if you like that style, you can find out at Physio Detective on Instagram or antonylow.com or just message Beautiful. me. My phone number, my phone number's on my website. Just SMS me, I don't care. Yeah. Just give me your address. I'll go to the house. He said, come in for dinner. He's fine. Even when he's not there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, mate. Lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Nice to meet you both. <laughs>